Um, tonight, as we continue our Summer Elements series, I'm, I'm really excited for this because it's kind of a... Um, anyone ever have leftover night? And it was leftover night, you pull out everything from the fridge, and in a way, some ways, that was kind of a negative connotation, but in some ways, you have this smorgasbord, this just amazing spread of just all kinds of different variety of things, and that's partly what this series is about, is the good side of that, that the variety side of stuff. And I'm excited to share a little bit tonight and excited for you the next few weeks here to hear from my friend Brandon, uh, who is just a dear, dear friend. I've been in ministry a long time with him and, and gone, gone through a lot of life <laughs> with him and excited that uh, he finished up at Dallas Theological Seminary a couple of years ago, and he's going to be speaking next week, and then Brian and Kimberly a couple of weeks after that. And I'm just, I'm thinking, you ever have those moments where you're just really appreciative of the team you have around you? Um, I'm standing over here on the side as Lyle as you're praying, and I'm just, I'm having one of those moments. Uh, just really, really grateful for our worship team, uh, for my wife, and for the, the teams of people that show up early, and the teams of people who stay late, and the p- teams of people who help do things all throughout the week. And I just, I can't say it enough. I appreciate you, and what you do makes a difference here in the lives of people. So thank you for, for being a part of that. Um, how many of you have been to a movie this summer? Here's what I want you to do. You're going to remember your favorite movie this summer, okay? You're going to talk to your neighborhood, which is the two, three people right around you. You're going to discuss your favorite movie thus far, or the one you're looking forward to seeing. You only have 24 seconds. Go. Favorite movie so far, the one you're looking forward to seeing. Up, Kev. <laughs> All right. I'm sure we could discuss the theology of movies for a long, long time. But how many of you are your animated fans? You've, you've seen Despicable Me or Monsters University. You like that. You're, you're kind of enjoying it. Some of you are like zombie freaks. You're like World War Z. That's me. All that kind of stuff. Wow. Less than I anticipated. Okay. Uh, how many of you are looking forward to Anyone seen Lone Ranger yet? Don't tell me. Was it worth seeing? Just yes or no? Mixed. I'm going anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to take that as, I didn't hear all a chorus of no's, so it didn't make the one tomato list, so I figure it's worth it. Uh, we're going to hit that one. Any other movies you guys have seen? Superman. Superman. Anyone see The Man of Steel? Man of Steel. And was it good? I heard there was tons of, like, for lack of a better knowledge of what, like, cool techno stuff. That was my best techno language right there. Stuff. Okay. Um, anyway, really cool thing. How many of you try to get to the movie, like, when it, you know, you, you're given the movie time, right? But that's never the time it actually begins, correct? What always happens before the movies? Previews. How many of you like previews? Okay, majority. How many of you dislike previews? You try to time it late to get in there. Some of you are just like, you're so busy and so popular in life, you've got to show up and just be right on time and you know, skip all the previews. That's a waste of your time. Okay, anyway. Uh, but previews show us something, right? 
Previews have a way of kind of giving you a taste of what is to come. So I've seen the Lone Ranger previews, right? I don't work for them. I'm not trying to plug them. I'm just, I'm looking forward personally to going to see this, mostly because of Johnny Depp. So um, I'm excited to go see this, but I saw the preview and I go, hey, there's some kind of storyline there that I go, it sounds like, you know, I grew up kind of watching that from time to time. And so maybe that'll be a great thing. Some of you might give a different review and you'd say, it's not worth your nine bucks or whatever it costs to go to the movies now. But the truth is about a preview is it gives you enough of a storyline to see something and to be able to, to notice something. And tonight, what I want to do is show you the preview that Jesus gives us. Because here's the truth. You study the life of Jesus, and tonight we're going to look at one chapter of Scripture, okay? We may supplement it with a couple other things, but I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9 if you have your Bibles. If you want to follow <laughs> along on a version, I went ahead and put those notes in there so you could do that on your phones, iPads, um, other stuff that has that version app. Um, so you're welcome to go to that. But previews kind of tell a story. And here's what you got to know about Jesus, is that when you study the life of Jesus, you realize that the way he lived, the way he taught, the way he interacted, the way he responded, gave a preview to the, what he talked mostly about. A lot of what Jesus talked about was paraphrased in a term that you'll read a lot in Scripture called the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God. And in our day and age, we don't deal with kingdoms. And so we sometimes don't know what that means. We sometimes, you know, apply it to uh, maybe a company. We go, okay, there's the kingdom of Apple, okay? And just Apple has this kingdom and this reign and how things operate and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's a bad comparison, but maybe that's the best we've got. We don't deal with the idea of kingdoms. And I want you to kind of understand, I want to define this a little bit tonight. I want you to begin to thinking that the kingdom of God, when you read that, here's what that means. The kingdom of God is anywhere the power, purpose, and presence of Jesus is being unleashed. The kingdom of God is where the power, the purpose, and the presence of Jesus is being unleashed in the reality of that moment and in that circumstance and that situation and that relationship, wherever that may be. Because what Jesus was beginning to preview and put on display in a way, begin to give it a foretaste of what was to come, is here's what life with God is really like. Here's what life with God is supposed to look like. Here's what life with God is supposed to impact your relationships and how you relate one to another. That's what Jesus taught so much about. In so many different arenas and so many different angles of everything to deal with life, Jesus began to put on display the kingdom of God. It's where his power and his purpose and his presence is being <laughs> unleashed. See, Jesus is more than just a good teacher. I had someone uh, ask me this week at the guy's Bible study, or the guy's you know, breakfast, we're there. And a great guy, and he's asking me this question, and he asked me a question that, I, to be honest, I was a little caught off guard because here's what he said. I've been a follower of God, like I've been leaning into God this whole time, but like, what's the big deal about Jesus? And I thought, whoa. See, friends, here's what you got to understand. Jesus is not just a moral teacher. In so many world religions and so many thoughts out there is Jesus was just a really good guy. And he had some really good things to say of how to get along and how to love and let's sing Beatles songs and just, you know, how to, how to make things work. And, or maybe Jesus was just a miracle worker. Because, man, he did a lot of things that healed people and did a lot of amazing things, bringing people back from the dead. Who does that? Not my doctor. 
You know, so is he just a miracle worker? Is he just a good teacher? Was he just a humanitarian? Was he just a, a guy for peace? Well, I don't think so. He seemed to stir up quite a bit with his teachings. And see, what you have to understand is Jesus is way more than that. In fact, at the bottom line, Jesus is God. And if you want to know what God's like, you look at the preview of Jesus. You see where I'm going? The preview, Jesus' life, is the preview of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be and how it's supposed to work and how it was intended to to interact and to relate one to another. Christianity, one of the most distinctive claims about Christianity versus any other world religion is that Christianity says God has revealed himself in history and he's done so through the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is way more than just a good teacher. In fact, here's what C.S. Lewis writes. It's a long quote. I'm just going to read bits and pieces of it. He says this, a man who is merely... A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be considered a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says, I'm a poached egg. That'd be like me standing up here and saying, I'm a poached egg. No, I'm a person. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him just being a human great teacher. He is more. He made some radical claims. Josh McDowell would write a little book saying he's either a liar and the greatest convincing liar of all time, or he was a lunatic that somehow turned a fourth, a third of the world toward him, or he really is who he says he is, the Lord. And tonight I want to look in Matthew chapter 9 to kind of tie back in to our mission. You heard Brandon say it at the very beginning of tonight, if you were here, and what we talk about from time to time. In fact, I, I preached a sermon back in January when we were just kind of getting started with this whole launch thing. And I want to kind of tie back into that because there's some amazing things that we need to stay anchored to. This mission that we have. See, we have a lot of values. You have values. Your family has values. Your family of origin grew up with values. Good or bad, right or wrong, you had values that guided your conversations, that guided your interactions. And a lot of churches can build around values. Here's who we are and what we're about. And those are good things and they're necessary. But a healthy church stays anchored to its mission. Here's what we're about. Here's our purpose. Here's our middle of our target. Here's what we're about. Bottom line, we will have values that guide us in our interactions, but we will never lose sight of our mission. It's like, it reminds me of when I was a kid. And uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania before we moved out here. And I was young, and my dad would take me fishing. Anyone ever been fishing in a thing called, um, I don't know, uh, what do you, a river? Yeah, um, we actually had rivers in Pennsylvania, and we have them out here. They're just dry and uh, sandy. And so back there, they actually had this thing called um, water uh, in them, and water would run, and, and this water would kind of guide them, and water was constantly running. It was called the current, and the current never stopped. And when my dad and I would go fishing, 
two things could happen. One, we could either get out on the canoe and out on the boat, and we could just flow with the current, but if we found a good spot, we would have to do something called what? We'd drop an anchor. You would drop an anchor, and that anchor would hold you there, and the current wouldn't take you away. But see, if you got too busy fishing and just talking and having a conversation and moving stuff around in the boat and you forgot to drop anchor, you at some point could look up and realize you are two miles down the river further than where you should have been. But you have to drop anchor. And healthy churches drop anchor on the thing that matters most. Here's our mission statement, what we've talked about. We are about inviting people into a life-giving and life-changing relationship with Jesus, period. That's what we're about. And hey, if you're here tonight and you're kind of checking out Elements and you want to know what we're about, ta-da, there you are. That's what this church is all about. And if you want to know what we're going to drop anchor in and hold to, listen, we will be a church. A church is an organized, dynamic um, organization, okay? And it will have ebbs and flows to it, and the way we do ministry will change over time. But what we focus on does not. There is a bedrock foundation that we will anchor to, and it is this. We are about inviting people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. And I am so jazzed to talk about that because I want to begin to unpack, I think, a little bit of what that means to us what that begins to look like for our future, what begins to look like even now in our present. Because inviting people to something is an amazing tool. In our day and age, we have a lot of churches that shout a lot of things, right? We have a lot of churches that wave a lot of fingers. We have a lot of churches with a lot of megaphones. We're not gonna be that kind of church. We're gonna be a church that invites people. Anyone ever been invited to a party? It's pretty nice to be invited, even if you don't go, right? It makes you feel valued. It makes you feel like you have worth, like that you made the list. We're going to be that kind of church that says that any and all are welcome, that God's grace is big enough for us. Now, his grace finds us where, it, where we are, but you know what? His grace never leaves us there, does it? Now, his grace is life-giving. That's the first step. But his life, his grace is also life changing. That's these continual next steps of God molding us to become something that we are not right now, to become something more, inviting people into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. That's the first step, starting a relationship with God, realizing that the God of the universe actually knows your name, actually gives a rip about you, actually cares about you, and actually has done everything in this world to pursue a relationship with you. That's life-giving. And life-changing, that he is wooing us to become something more. And in Matthew chapter 9, I want to look um, real quick at a little kind of snapshots throughout here. And here's my challenge to you. Just read through Matthew chapter 9 this week. Just at some point, you find space, find time, read through Matthew chapter 9. And here's where, it, here's where it begins. Jesus has been out healing. He's been out doing ministry, teaching and healing, and um, been very, very active. And he comes back into his hometown, into his area, his hood, that he knows, okay? And he shows up, 
and he goes to this house, and this house is so crowded with people. It'd be like crowded like this, and it was so packed that nobody could get in. And Jesus is in there teaching. You got some Pharisees, some religious leaders who are there, and those are people who are probably, in a way, they're not more than probably, they're, they're trying to find dirt on Jesus. They're trying to understand why is this phenomenon of Jesus beginning to pick up steam. Jesus, you're kind of messing with our religious system of the day. And so they're kind of in this investigation mode. You got other people that are there that are just really curious. They're, they're, they've heard stories. They've heard the previews, so to speak of Jesus, and they're there to actually see it face-to-face and person-to-person and to hear it from his own lips. And so Jesus is there teaching, and it's so crowded that they have these five guys that are outside. In fact, it's, it's four guys who are friends of a paralytic man. And this paralytic man is laying on a mat, hasn't walked. We, we don't know fully extent if it's his whole life, if he's never walked, it's been a long, long time. He's paralyzed. He cannot move. That's the situation. That's the reality of his world, his life, his story. And these four friends say, we've heard enough about this preview of Jesus, that he heals and he helps people. And Bob, maybe that's his name. I don't know. Bob sounds like a good Hebrew name. Not really. But Bob, we've got to get you to Jesus. And so they show up at the door, and there's too many people. They can't get in. And so they, being Home Depot-type guys, go, you know what? There's a better way to get this Bob to Jesus. And so they climb up on the roof, and they begin peeling away the roof. The roof isn't like a stucco roof or like a tile roof like we got. It's this other kind of roof that... I'm not an engineer. Anyway, so it's this roof, right, that they can peel apart, and all of a sudden this plaster or dust or begins falling in, and they have created a hole in the roof. And they lower poor Bob down. Imagine being Bob. You have been laying here for a long time. This is what you know, and your friends, they are really helpful. And sometimes friends can be overly helpful. And maybe that's Bob thinking, okay, guys, we're breaking into someone's house, we're going through a roof, and it's not you going through the roof, it's me going through the roof. And I'm not gonna land on my feet if I fall off this mat. So take it easy, lower me through the roof. And so they lower Bob, again, hypothetically Bob, lower him down through the roof, right? And there he is, face to face with Jesus, and Jesus looks at these four friends. And he turns and he looks at Bob. And you know what he says to him? This amazing thing. Jesus has healed people left and right. And here's what he says to him. Your sins are forgiven. What? Whoa. Back up the truck. Jesus, this guy can't walk. I don't know if you didn't notice the fact that he's on a mat. He's obviously crippled. We can see that. You, you could not be in this house and not notice that. That would be like the most obvious thing in this situation. So what should Jesus say? You're healed. Get up. Walk, right? That should be the first words. Jesus, you're putting a preview of the will of God, the kingdom of God, your power, your purpose, your plans, showing up, your presence here, powerfully changing things. Tell him to walk. And what does Jesus say first? Your sins are forgiven. Now, this causes craziness to go in murmuring, much like here. This murmuring, why, why would Jesus do that? Why, could you imagine being some of the religious leaders in the day? Because here's what starts going through your mind. Who 
can forgive sins. Did you ever stop to think about this? Who's the person that has the authority and the right to forgive sins of humanity? Even if you're not a Christian, your mind's probably going to some higher deity, to God, right? That's where your mind goes. And so Jesus starts with something that's really awkward. Why? Because Jesus is more than a miracle worker and more than a nice teacher and a humanitarian. And Jesus begins addressing a condition. And it's not the physical condition. It's a spiritual one. And he begins there first. See, maybe Jesus knows something that we don't want to acknowledge. That our biggest struggle and our biggest problem is not that we are physically broken or emotionally wounded or mentally stunted or psychologically compromised. Our biggest problem is not an image problem. Our biggest problem at the end of the day is a sin problem. And like it or not, camouflage it how you want, at the end of the day, my actions, standing before a perfect and holy God, don't measure up. And I don't care how good you are or how disciplined you are how, how well you have done in life and how well you have treated people, at the end of the day, if it was just you in a mirror and you were honest with yourself, you probably would come to the conclusion that I came to. I'm not good enough when compared to a perfect, holy, righteous God. And see, Jesus begins this conversation, this interaction, and he says, I want to give people life. What did he say in John chapter 10? I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Not life like, you know, this, this everything rosy and perfect and, and riches galore and all that. No, life. See, we have a bigger problem than we want to admit to. In fact, can I just read you from the book of Ephesians? Because I think this captures it beautifully. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, here's, here's this amazing reality of what God did through Jesus. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. See, this isn't a philosophy of I'm, gonna, I'm bad and I need to get better. No, this is not about self-help. This is about you were dead spiritually, and now through Christ you can be alive. You were disconnected relationally from God, unable to make and bridge the gap and however, whatever effort you could achieve on your own, however good you could be, you could not jump the chasm to go from disconnected to connected to a perfect holy God. Somebody had to help you get across and that's what Paul is saying Jesus did. You were dead in your transgressions, in your sins, in your brokenness, in your rebellion. Maybe other words that you could put there in which you used to live and you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of this air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us have lived among them at one time, gratifying those cravings of sinful nature. But, I love this. Anytime you read, God has a big but, okay? And this is how I remember this. Anytime you see the word but, circle it. Because here's all the stuff that's piled up, but because of his what? 
his great love for us. Put in your name. His great love for you. God, who is what? Rich in mercy. He's not barely scraping by with mercy. He's not hardly having enough, so he's having to hoard it. He is rich. He's exuberant in mercy. Made us alive with Christ. Made us alive with Christ. Even when we were what? Dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you, friend, have been saved. Jesus offers a life-giving type of grace for people who were once dead and broken and separated and disconnected with no hope to get reconnected and to find new life. Jesus says, I'll make a way. Friend, he is way, way more than just a good teacher. Way, way more than just a miracle worker who did some nice things. He is so much more. He brings us from death to life. This isn't about self-improvement. This is about you were dead, you were lost, you were broken. And now, friend, you can be alive. This is life-giving. This is about first steps into a relationship with God. The first steps that guy took on that day when he's Bob's lowered through the roof, it did not happen when he ran out the door, because I'm getting to that part. His first steps is he went from disconnected to connected into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he got life. And so the conversations are murmuring, right? The room's a buzz. Who forgives sins? You're blasphemy people would say. You can't claim to be God when Jesus, well, he is. He just is. There's no way around that. And he says some amazing things. He goes on, look uh, back here at Matthew chapter 9. He goes, knowing their thoughts, how cool is that that Jesus just knows your thought? How scary is that that Jesus just knows your thoughts? Woo! Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to stand up and walk? What's, what's the easier phrase to say? Well, it's easier to say, well, yeah, your sins are forgiven. I can't measure that. I can't see that tangibly. And then Jesus says this incredible thing. Your sins are forgiven. But that you may know, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, that you may know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, get up take your mat and go home. And right then and there, Bob, who got carried through a roof, who's been laying on a mat for years, stands up, wraps up his mat, and dances out the front door. That would have blown me away to see that. And it blew people away because everyone was amazed at that except the religious leaders. And what you see building throughout the rest of Matthew chapter 9 and really throughout the gospel of Matthew is this tension. See, Jesus pushed things. He wasn't a mamsy-pamsy Jesus. He irritated people. He was in your face, but he was incredibly loving. He is rich in mercy. Why? Because he's the preview. He's putting God on display. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Why? Because he says he's God. 
that's part of that triune. I don't even have any time to go into all that. But it's this beautiful display, this preview of Jesus. This interaction was life-giving to this guy. Long before it was life-changing, it was both to him. It brought life to him. This chapter continues and it goes through. I'll just, here's the bullet points of what you're gonna read this week. He calls Matthew, he goes by Matthew. Matthew is this tax collector, right? Basically the traitor of the day. He had, he's a Jew who has said, I'm going to actually work for the Roman Empire and I'm gonna steal money from my people and because I'm gonna get rich that way. And he walks by Matthew who is stuck in this lot of life and he says, come follow me, which is a cool bumper sticker but hardly a motivational speech to change your whole entire life, but it does for Matthew because he leaves his tax collecting booth and he begins to follow Jesus and guess who's writing this gospel account for us to read? Hey, the guy who walked away from the tax collector booth, Matthew, why? Because he's writing to his people. You wanna know what Jesus is like, you gotta know the story of Jesus and so the Holy Spirit's anointing him to preach and to write and to record this that we may know. He goes through, he begins to proclaim truth. These uh, Pharisees begin challenging on him and he's breaking down some of their misconceptions and he begins to say, this is truth. He heals a woman who's been struggling with an issue uh, of bleeding for 12 years who comes up behind him and grabs part of his cloak, he heals her. He heals a blind man. He heals a mute. He brings a little girl who was dead back to life. That's what you're going to read in Matthew chapter 9. And then these Pharisees, they're maybe looking to put out their, uh, to, to put out maybe their press release of what they think about Jesus. And then begin challenging him. Well, the only way he could do this is because he's actually connected to the devil. We, we understand he's got power, so he's just got the dark side kind of power. That's what they say toward the end of Matthew chapter 9. You can read it. And what does Jesus do in that moment? <laughs> he takes a road trip. Jesus takes a road trip, takes his disciples out on tour. And they begin going around the villages around this, around this town, this area, this region of where he's from, about 200 villages, so to speak. And in every village, what you'll read is that every person that had a disease or sickness came to Jesus, and Jesus healed every single one. Could you imagine the weight, the emotional weight of that? How many of you have cared for someone who is sick before? Even with a head cold, right? Especially wives, girlfriends, your boyfriend, <laughs> your husband has a head cold. It's like the end of the world for them. Like you're just, you troop on, you keep going, but they, they're on the couch, <laughs> ringing a bell, all that kind of stuff. I'm weak. I know when, I'm, when I get sick, I'm, and it's sad. It's sad. But in that moment, think about that. Just the pressure of that. The emotional wear and tear that would be. Some of you are counselors. Some of you are teachers and you are a counselor. And the wear and tear emotionally as you deal with people's issues, as you deal with people's problems, as you help them and help them take. And you know what's amazing to me? What blows me away? You can read it. Let's look at the end of chapter 9. Jesus went throughout all the towns. This is verse uh, 35. All these villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. <laughs> Listen, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Friends, the most described emotion of Jesus 
in all of the scriptures, in all the gospel accounts, is he was moved with compassion. And the interesting word, the, the Greek word here for compassion, is not like, oh, Jesus felt sad for people. No. Jesus was like moved in his bowels. That's what it talks about, his intestines. Like this inner just ache for people. Why? And he gives a couple different examples here. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Ezekiel talked about that in the Old Testament. That God's wrath, God's uh, disapproval for some of the shepherds who had given up on the people. And Jesus is who? He described himself as what? The good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. And I care for them. He goes, hun, and he begins describing this. He's, in fact, take your pen. If you have a pen, I just want you to circle a couple words here. Verse 35, it says, Jesus went. Just circle, Jesus went. Jesus did not live in a holy huddle. He did not huddle up and just kind of stay here and just, it's just going to be us and, and no one else. It's just the believers. Jesus didn't live that way. Jesus went to where people were. When, uh, here's the next one, verse uh, 36. He saw the crowd. Circle, he saw. Jesus sees people. He notices people. He isn't so zeroed in on himself that he misses the people around him. He sees people. And that he had, circle, he had. He had compassion. It's what moved him. And then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And for most of us in the church world who grew up in church, we tend to focus on the workers are few. Hey, we need more volunteers. I'm going to say that in a few minutes so you're not surprised. Hey, we need more volunteers. And that's what we focus on. But that's not what Jesus is focusing on here. The harvest is plentiful. Tucson has a million plus people. 90% of them have no acknowledgement of God in their life, have no pursuit of God, no idea that the creator of the universe knows their name and actually gives a darn about them. Maybe they got burnout on church. Maybe they gave up on church. Maybe they never got involved in church. I meet more and more people now who have churches like nowhere on their radar screen, never has been. Jesus went and he had compassion on people. I want us to be a church that's known for compassion because that's what Jesus was known for. And people that were nothing like him actually liked to hang out with him. Let's be that kind of people. Let's commit the best we know how and we'll learn along the way. Why? Because this is about life changing for us. Okay, we got life. Jesus gave us life. We're saved. If you're here and you've committed your life to Christ, you've trusted him, you got life. You can't lose that. But now this is a journey of about life changing. This is about continual next steps in your spiritual journey of following Jesus, of taking the next step for you and figuring out he customizes those things. He says, here's some things I want you to be about. He begins to change people. Jesus is always taking people on a road trip. And we get to go on one too. And it's about life-changing next steps with him all along the way, beginning to understand a little bit more. Maybe it's letting go of selfishness that we tend to cling to. And maybe that's you. And, and if you're just honest with yourself, you're like, man, I am selfish. 
and that's where you're at. And, and God maybe might say to you, hey, your next step is to let go of that and stop having that grip your life and actually become others focused to begin to see the people around you. Jesus saw people as he went. Maybe it's letting go of pride and just kind of settling into a new sense of humility that brings comfort, that not everything has to be about you. That maybe you're actually aiming your life at a bigger story than the one you can create for yourself. And that means sacrifice at times. It means letting go of some of your dreams. But it doesn't mean that your dreams never come. Jesus might breathe some new dreams into you. Because I believe Jesus still does that. Maybe it's facing down some of your fears and moving forward in faith. And this fear has kept you stuck in your spiritual journey and you gave up on your spiritual journey even because you were too afraid to go forward. And Jesus is saying, would you just take another step with me? Maybe it's learning to let go of bitterness or unforgiveness and beginning to learn and test and just begin to take next steps to say, you know what? Forgiveness actually is the best way to live. And Jesus forgives us and we begin to move toward this. In Romans chapter eight, it talks about this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the likeness of his son. See, this is about life-giving relationship with Jesus where you start with a first step. I connect to him. He connects to me. And this is about constant next steps with him. When I'm learning to let him and I'm gonna surrender, what, what Jesus loves the most, what God loves the most is a surrendered heart and feet that follow. A heart that surrenders and says, God, this is your life. You're the one that actually gave me life. And I wanna change to become more and more the person you dream and create me to be. This is about transformation. It's about partnering with him. This is about movement. This is about us gathering from time to time and moving forward. So our mission is inviting people into a life-giving life-changing relationship with Jesus. It's about first steps, and it's about next steps. It's about first steps of people that you know, that as you go and as you see them and as you have compassion, that maybe you have an opportunity that God arranges and you get to invite them. And as they begin to take a step toward Jesus, as Jesus is running to them, they start a life-giving relationship with him. And then it's about next steps. We, uh, we talked in January about uh, four things, and I'll kind of close with this and then a, a, an invitation to a challenge that we have before us. We talked about filtering our mission through four Gs, and I'm gonna unpack that a little bit. We talked about gatherings, that we're gonna be a church that gathers together for teaching, for worship, for encouragement, that we're gonna have moments where we gather. We typically do that right now on Sunday nights, and we're gonna keep doing that. Now, we do other times where we have worship nights or different events where we gather as a whole group, and we're going to do that. That we, we really firmly believe that in those moments, encounter moments can lead to life movements. That as we encounter Jesus together, we can actually be moved forward in our journey with him because this is about continual next steps as well, isn't it? So we're going to gather together. We're going to grow this is about individual growing, about owning your own spiritual journey. This isn't about work and effort trying to earn God's love, but realizing that he is calling you forward. Jesus said to his disciples right after Matthew chapter nine, he says, okay, now I've, you've traveled with me in this road trip. Now you go do your own road trip. And the first part of chapter 10 is them going out two by two and they're doing it and Jesus isn't there. 
And he's saying, look, I want you to grow. You've got to own part of this yourself, and you've got to grow. We know this. We grow best when we do it together. That the connected life is far greater than the surrounded life. And that we live connected. We have e-groups that we have. We have a few right now on the east side. Our northwest group is shut down for the summer, but this fall, we're going to get launching into those groups again. We're going to do other things and other gatherings and other groups that we could do to, to pull people together. That's why we have the guys' breakfast on Wednesdays. It's why we do different things, because we know we grow better together. We're going to give. We're going to be a people who use our talents and our resources and our abilities to kind of pull that together to do something, to give to something that's greater and to a better story. And that's giving of your time and of your talents and, yes, of your treasure. That for some of you, maybe this whole idea of giving, like, money to a church, like, whoa, okay, preacher guy, you've crossed the line. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. This movement of Jesus will not happen the way that we're trying to organize it to happen. Jesus could do anything, okay? God can do anything. But he wants to organize us to make this move forward. And it's going to take our partnership in that. And here's what I tell people. If they've never done that, here's what I ask you to think about. Just make it a priority in your life. Start with 1%. Start with, two, start with something. Just make giving a priority. And figure out what percentage you can give. And you and God work that out. I don't need to know that. You and God go on that journey. Because here's what I know. Generosity is the, one of the most compelling things in your life. You will find this to be true. As you give, you will get. That's the reality. I've seen it happen in my life. I've seen it happen in tons and tons of lives around me. We're going to give. We're going to give our efforts. We're going to give our talents. We're going to serve. I got a guy here. Where, where are you at, Jamin? Where's Jamin at? Over there. Jamin, come here. I know I told you I was going to do this afterward. I'm going to do it now. This is my good friend, Jamin. And uh, if you don't know him, give... You need to give him a bigger hand because Jamin gets here. <clears throat> I told you I was going to ask you to give, and now I'm asking you. Because Jamin gets here at 4 o'clock every single Sunday to set up the chair you're sitting in, to set up the table you're around right now. None of this is here at 4 o'clock. All of it happens between 4 and 5. And Jamin, the last two weeks, has been here by himself doing it. And I show up, and the Lee showed up, and we jump in, and we do it. But you need some help. Yeah. And so I'm just asking you to consider that. You got time, you got energy, you got some muscles, then you can come do that at 4 o'clock to help Jamin so he's not alone. It's not good to be alone. And I just want to say thank you and enjoy Cold Stone on us. Right. So thanks for all you do, man. Thank you. I appreciate you. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> He doesn't do that for that, and I know he doesn't even want to be recognized, but tough. Um, we have people like that, like Jamin, who serve around here all the time. Some of you give up a Sunday a week to serve in E-Kids. We could not do E-Kids. We cannot get it to where we want it to go without you. We just cannot do all these things without your participation. That's giving. And we will go. That's another filter. We will be a church that goes. We will go locally, and we will go globally. We want to make a difference in this mission and movement of Jesus all around the world and all around our neighborhood. We are waiting, and I know we're waiting. We talked about that last week. We're waiting to go to Midtown. We will get there, I promise. But as we wait, 
Um, you know, this last week we had new office space kind of worked out for us. So we have a new headquarters. That's what we call it. Elements headquarters at Grant and Wilmot. That's where we are. Um, and it's super cool and it's getting cool and we're going to do some meetings and stuff there, but it's not big enough for all of us. And so we're waiting for that next place for God to, to bring forth. We should hear this week on a couple of different options. And so keep praying for that. But we're going to be a church that goes and does so in serving and making a difference. Here's what I end with. Um, we have an opportunity before us in this next three and a half weeks to do something that I want to call you to and I believe we can do. Uh, TUSD uh, has a lot of schools, elementary schools, that don't have a lot of kids that don't have a lot for school supplies. School starts back in a month. For some of you who go to college, sorry, you get an extra like two weeks, so good for you. But if you're a teacher, you're like, oh, that's only three more weeks. Yeah, sorry. But we have an opportunity to partner with Gap Ministries and uh, a few other organizations that are teaming up. And we have that picture, Megan, of the, the backpack. This is on our website right now. Of Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Is we want to give 100 backpacks full of school supplies by the end of July. Um, so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I need 100 people or families next week to grab a backpack. They'll be here. We're going to hand you the backpack. In the backpack, here's the three things you need to do. Take a backpack. Inside's going to be a piece of paper that says here's the exact school supplies that need to go in there so everyone gets the same. You're going to take, go fill it up, and then you're going to put $10 in there also. Okay? What that does is allows us to partner with Gap Ministries to buy, uh, basically to get 200 backpacks to 200 kids in USD schools come August 4th when they hand them out on that Sunday evening, okay? There's a few of you who are maybe doing haircuts August 4th because they're doing a big giant um, giveaway for these backpacks for families at the same time we meet, and so they're doing that. Um, and so I want to challenge us next week, 100 of us, to grab a backpack. If you want to grab more, you're welcome to, but we need 100 people or families to grab one backpack, fill it up, and bring it back July 28th. Got it? And we can make a difference in 200 kids' lives. We want to be a church that does stuff like this, okay? So we've done that in the past. This is the challenge for this week. Uh, here's what I'm going to end with prayer, and we're going to worship a couple songs here, and then I'll, I'll close this out. We have a couple uh, cool announcements to mention with that, but we're going to move into a time of communion. And if you're new to Elements, we do this every week in a way of just keeping us anchored and reminded and remembering that as we talked about this mission that we're about inviting people into a life-giving relationship with Jesus, a life-changing relationship with him. But that doesn't happen on our own. Jesus had to make that happen. And he sacrificed his life, gave of his body and his blood that we might have life and find it and be found by the creator of this universe. And so, Father, as we close out tonight, as we move into a time of reflection and worship, I pray as we take communion here that you would just stir our hearts and that we would remember we'd praise you, we would worship you, we'd lean in in these next couple songs. God, you are about life change. Maybe for each one of us tonight, there's a next step for us. And I pray that your spirit would have some space to whisper that for us. That tonight we would leave knowing Here's the next step for me. Here's how God wants to shape my character. Here's, here's the leap of faith he's calling me to take. Here's, here's what he's wanting us to do. Maybe corporately, you're giving us an opportunity with these backpacks to make a difference. And we can't write spiritual things in them, but we can pray over them. And we can pray that those 200 kids that get those backpacks, that you'd be at work in their families and in their life, even now, 
drawing them to you, that you are the life-giving source that we need. So Father, as a church, we want to be a movement for you. We want to team up with you. We want to partner with you. God, lead us in the journey you have for us.